0: Take a network break. Help yourself to a sweet, sugary virtual donut, and don't worry about the detriment to your dentition. On today's show, we're going to cover a Cisco certificate crisis, new networking hardware from Extreme, IT crimes and their consequences, satellite-connected cows, and more IT news. We're sponsored by Itential. Itential simplifies automation across hybrid cloud network infrastructure. Their platform makes it easy for network teams to bring their own automation assets and scale their network automation efforts so you can spend more time working on the things you like instead of repetitive, tedious tasks. Find out more at iTentil.com slash Packet Pushers. keep an for some upcoming shows on the Packet Pushers Network. For instance, uh, on the full stack journey coming uh, next week, I'm going to talk with John Capabianco about using PyATS. That's a Python framework for network testing. And episode two of Heavy Wireless is coming out soon. It's going to cover tips for moving to WPA3. Yeah.
1: And if you're wondering why Drew sounds like he's been gorging on donuts for a week and he's (laughs) now suddenly gained like 300 pounds is because he got COVID
0: I did get COVID he
1: finally convinced himself to head off into the big wide conference world where the outside world is and promptly came back with COVID <laughs> this is and my reward <laughs> was it worth it Drew? that's the question that's what we all want to know
0: that is what we all need to ask ourselves is it worth it? yeah I think as people are gearing up for Cisco Live keep in mind that you know the COVID emergency is officially over but COVID is still out there I'm uh, case in point because I was at an event uh, I got it I know several other people at the event who also got it we're assuming it happened at the event So uh, Mm -hmm. prepare accordingly as we enter the conference season. Uh, You know, maybe mask up and and get your boosters.
1: Well, even if it's not COVID, you are much more
0: vulnerable to conference lurgy, as I think it's often called. Classic conference lurgies.
1: Yes. If you haven't been out and about and rubbing up against your fellow man or woman or whatever, uh, he, they, them, um, you might find that you're much more susceptible to just, uh, you know, various viruses, not necessarily the COVID virus, but just flu viruses of all sorts, and you'll come back with conference lurking. Typically, any conference event, 20% of people come back with a some sort of flu virus type thing, so you should plan for that. If you're in any conference that you attend, you might be out of action or feeling sick for a week or two afterwards. It's just one of those things. But that's why he sounds weird. It's not because we took him out of the cage and beat him before we put him into the, the network break recording booth.
0: <laughs> as far as we can prove, that's uh, yes. that's the story we're going with. Yeah. All right, let's dive into some uh, follow-up. Uh, last week, we had talked about Lumen, aka CenturyLink, uh, and some, uh, I don't remember what the news story was about, but we asked, you know, Greg, you had mentioned your experience with Century, or we had heard that CenturyLink uh, wasn't necessarily the best operation to work with. Uh, now they rebranded to Lumen. And so we asked, you know, have you had experiences with CenturyLink? And some folks wrote in, and it's kind of a mixed bag. In some cases, good, <laughs> in some cases, bad.
1: Well, I got four pieces of feedback uh, over the whole thing. And as a general rule, you probably wouldn't want to do business with CenturyLink if your life depended on it. And if you actually just want to go to work and come home, probably wouldn't want to do business with Lumen slash CenturyLink in that case. Uh, So the first piece of uh, feedback, the reason that I said I would like your feedback is because I don't know. know. Sometimes I can make broad statements based on articles I've read, forums I participate in, people I talk to. And so what I'm trying to do here is make sure that You know, I made a statement that Lumen slash CenturyLink is not a very good organization. And I'm searching for honesty or the best version of it that we can find. And this person says, we recently moved from a fiber plus to a 10 gig wave circuit. Turning on BGP took three days to figure out on their side. It was a frustrating experience. We also had a credit issue that took months to resolve. However, since I've since had to open a couple of tickets... Doing so via the phone was very quick and easy. And in one particular fiber cut, they kept us up to date on the repair process and even sent pictures of an 864 strand fiber cut. Having the pictures was nice since I often don't trust what carriers are telling me. (laughs) I just want to qualify that. I never trust what carriers are telling me. So he's a much better man
0: than I am, I think. Well, photographic evidence helps.
1: It does. A little bit more believable. Uh, This one here I'm the director of IT for my organization. With a very strong networking and project implementation background, shortly became my on board. The company signed up for a 12-site Lumen SD-WAN. I inherited the project just as the first site was ready for activation. I'm currently the only member of my team with any networking background. My experience with Lumen has been very poor. While there was very a few outstanding individuals on the project team, the overall implementation was a train wreck. The design was a little too vanilla, created more vendor lock-in than I would have had, the Lumen personnel who did the site activations did not have a solid grasp of the SD-WAN product, which is Versa. We've talked about that. Versa is a company that likes to sell us, uh, SD-WAN products OEM,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so uh, you can't—you know—you have to have special training to be able to make that work. And had several issues during activation. No lessons were learned by the Lumen team as each additional activation had the same issues repeated over and over.
0: That's going to be frustrating. <laughs>
1: <laughs> by the fourth activation, my internal team, even without a networking background, was reminding the Lumen team how issues were solved at each previous activation. Good Lord. At one or more of our remote sites, Lumen proved unable to source a secondary circuit, which was required by them for their activation. It took nearly six months for them to finally agree to allow us to source a local broadband circuit and use that as the secondary underlay. Uh, and, and, you know, and so on, it just goes on and it just goes like after all the activations, we've continued to struggle to get any support from Lumen and our account team, only certain types of issues can be opened as tickets in the support portal. And what those types of issues is quite vague. All after issues has to be raised with the c- customer success advocate, and they will find somebody which usually takes weeks and multiple emails to get any help. Wow. So, <laughs> and, uh, this one here is a little bit more pointed. Lumen is dude so awful much of our dark fiber is what now lumen bundles it took years to get it all untangled i'd rather fight chicago unions about whether fiber optics are light pipes than deal with lumen that sounds really bad i don't know what a chicago unions all about what does that mean
0: uh, I'm going to assume it means uh, unions, uh, probably telecommunications workers, can get into uh, – working with unions can be a fraught process because they have a lot of procedures and processes. It's not always smooth and streamlined. So uh, mm. <laughs> to say you'd rather fight a union than work with uh, this uh, ISP is saying something.
1: <laughs> and just to sort of put the icing on the cake, uh, touch wood service quality has been good, stuff works, and I don't need to engage them, some of the usual nonsense. But Latin America, they divested all their old crow crossing assets there to Syrion. They were always a mess in that region. Things have been worse, um, and then today they're talking about. My guess is that they're trying to separate some of the Syrian and Lumen networks, and it's causing um, collapses right across the Lumen ASN, uh, both in America and Latin America, and it's causing uh, a lot of hassles. So I would I would say that uh, based on that feedback and based on the information that I had before, I made this rather out outlandish statement you probably want to have Lumen slash CenturyLink as your last resort. You would probably want to have a really, really compelling reason to engage with them based on that evidence. So there you go.
0: Yeah, or definitely at the very least ask to talk to other customers without a Lumen rep <laughs> present.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that SD-WAN story is uh, Lumen has decided to create an SD-WAN product. They chose Versa um, and uh, to OEM that, and that sounds like they just don't have any in-house skill. Yeah, That is the sort of thing that these organizations do. They decide they're going to have a product Really their core business is dark fiber and, and WAN circuits, and apparently they can muck those up on a regular basis, very regular basis. And that is not the sign of an organization demonstrating competency. It's demonstrating incumbency.
0: Well, as always, we appreciate your feedback. You can reach out to us and share your feedback at packetpushers.net slash FU. The FU stands for follow-up. Uh, you can send us corrections, comments, clarifications, uh, or tales of woe, whatever you like. <laughs> and if you uh, are okay with us sharing them uh, on the show, just uh, let us know in the FU, uh, and we will treat it accordingly.
1: And it's anonymous, so we don't and have it's anonymous. Name to the That's right. Yes. yes. Your, your secret is safe with us. Um, but you're sharing sharing their secret knowledge with all the other engineers who potentially listen to the show. Yes, it's appreciated.
0: All right, let's dive into some news. First, uh, expired certificates are causing device failures in three models of Cisco's Viptela SD-WAN appliances, the VH-1000, the VH-2000, and the VH-100 M-slash-B. Cisco says the expired source affect, quote, control plane connections, which eventually impacts data plane connections, resulting in loss of service.
1: Wow. This was pretty bad. To give you a scope, uh, there's a thread on Reddit. There's a link in the show notes if you want to go and see it. Uh, People in there are saying, I work for a large car rental company. 90% of their sites are down as they've got into work this morning. Wow. There are banks with retail branches across countries. This is right around the world. They're seeing something like up to 30% of their retail branches being down. That is really quite a serious issue. There is a sort of an unfolding banking issue in the US where people are a little bit worried since the collapse of the SVB and the first, uh, I can't remember what the other one was called, First Republic or first something. First Republic, yeah. Yeah. Um, and any signs that the banks are closing the doors or something could trigger a run on the bank. And that could have some really serious issues. This is not, you know, if you're a, you know, a, a banking, retail banking organization, this is of the highest order failure, you do not want your branches to say, I can't, like, not a great time for a
0: network outage. Yeah. When you're like, it's not our fault. The money's there. It's just, the network Mm. is down. We promise.
1: (laughs) So, um, and it goes on and on and on. You know, most people were saying somewhere between 10 to 20% If you had a, a Viptel SD WAN, uh, 10 to 30% of your sites were down. And it could be much more if you had a scheduled, uh, update happening. What did happen is that inside of the box, there was a certificate store, um, and the certificate that pointed to the CA root had expired. So in the PEM file, in the Linux operating system underneath, it was pointing to a certificate or contained a certificate that had timed out. And uh, Cisco hasn't told us this, but I've found out from various people that um, this is actually the underlying cause. Cisco doesn't admit to what the underlying problem is in their uh, posted link. There's a link here to uh, the remediation, but they don't actually say what it caused. But it is an expired certificate. And it is just a PEM file that is a text file, which can be edited manually, but Cisco hasn't made it as far as I understand it. So not really a, a, a good look. Um, they've now since uh, issued a patch for the controllers. If your SD-WAN VEdges can reach your SD-WAN controller, then they will update because they can communicate over the internet uh, or over a WAN to the controller, over a private WAN to the controller. They will then be able to light, you know, flash a new version of the code and then away you go. There's a whole lot of complexity in here. If you're using the off-prem cloud controllers, the updates will flow naturally to your SD-WAN edge. If your SD-WAN edge is behind a firewall that is correctly installed according to Cisco's best practices, not natively exposed, then it cannot connect via the underlay to the new controllers. And you will have to go out and visit every single site to do the update. You'll have to drop the firewall connection or whatever if you don't have an out-of-band connection, right? Mm Mm-hmm. If you have on-prem controllers and you do the controller upgrade, same thing. If your internal, uh, the edges are secured properly, according to best practices, then again, they will not be able to update, but if they can reach the controller, they'll be able to download a firmware because the, um, firmware image is downloaded either over the internet or over a private WAN. As long as you've got that, it's okay. Some people are saying, um, if you're using the on-prem SD-WAN controllers, you will require an on-site visit to go out there and update them you can't just update them remotely apparently you may have to actually go there on premises again security you don't want to have these things accessible over the internet necessarily and it depends on your installation but yeah so what we're seeing is devices started to go out on wednesday fixes were shipped on thursday today as a friday people seem to be coming back to normal and i think it's going to get fairly ugly from Does that make how did i do did i cover it well
0: I think so. I mean, the the, the fact that uh, a certificate expired on the box is a very bad problem. Uh, not a great look mm-hmm. for Cisco causing a lot of hassles for customers. Those are business impacting outages. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. if you're a car rental company, if you're a bank and you just the network is down, you can't do your work. Uh, so yeah, terrible look for Cisco uh, putting its customers at jeopardy uh, for, I mean, listen, I understand that c- certificate management is very complex, but these are the kinds of issues that you trust your vendor to be on top of because that is their job.
1: Well, it's not something a customer can do. No, they
0: can't. They're right. right. Exactly. No. Exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. You're not going to be managing those certificates and about which routes you trust. Right. Now, importantly... Um, uh, I was chatting to somebody and they pointed out that in 2017, just as Viptela was being acquired by Cisco, they had this exact problem then. Uh. So it's not as if Cisco didn't know about this, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so what this points to um, is that Cisco internally, we know that the Viptela acquisition was not well managed. There was a group of people who really wanted Viptela and went out and, and, and were able to convince the executives that this was what was necessary. And when the Viptela came in, there was very much a, at this time in a Cisco culture, not invented here. And they tried to kill it. They tried to minimize it. They um, didn't want to work with the V edges for a very long time. Um, there was people inside of the, the structure who wanted to see Viptela on iOS routers. And of course, at the time, the iOS routers are 20,000, 40,000, 60,000 for each branch. Mm-hmm. And people were saying, I can go to Aruba or you know HP Silverpeak and get an Edge device for, you know, $2,000. Why am I buying, spending 20 grand a branch? <laughs> so in the end, V-Edge sort of, you know, it's it's sort of this love-hate thing. Cisco wants to have, be competitive with SD-WAN. They've got all of these customers who are saying, we want SD-WAN. They've got other SD-WAN products, obviously Meraki. And there's a third one inside of Cisco that I can never ever think of, other than, that might've been, de- you know, slowly dead. And I'm not talking about iWan or any of that sort of stuff. Um... And so Cisco has this problem where they've not, and it looks as if that has caused this damage. It looks as if Cisco has not got the operational focus on this part of the business and it's just left, uh, you know, the situation where they're not monitoring what's going on here. Um, and it's the one, somebody said to me, they said, they bought the company. So they bought the baggage. You can't make an excuse and say, Oh, it's not our fault because it was there when we bought the company, you bought the company. It really doesn't matter. So, um, yeah, and I think we're going to see, I think something's going to happen here. This is possibly a big enough. I'm not totally convinced it will, but I'm, there's a high chance that the, the WAN is where Cisco should be the best company out a away, right? Right. And if Cisco wants to mess up in the absolutely core functionality of its enterprise business and make a mistake, a very basic, simple mistake, you know, the PEM file in the Linux install needs to be updated before it expires. That's not hard, Right. If you're not doing that basic thing, what does that mean about the product internally? And I would say that Cisco hasn't put the right resources into the Viptela product, hasn't got the right people. It's sort of treating it as though something that they don't really want. So you have to make a choice. Is Cisco Viptela really something that Cisco is serious about? Or should you be putting in Cisco Meraki because that seems to be much more widely used and, and seems to be a much more stable and reliable product? or maybe you should be looking at a third party. Keep in mind that if that V-Edge product is not going to be absolutely core to Cisco's business, after it's had price hikes in the 30 to 40% range, we've talked about this over the last three years, right the way through COVID, Cisco jacked up the pricing through um, its subscription. It forced everybody onto subscription licensing, whether you liked it or not. They keep pressuring customers to buy routers instead of these simple low cost edge appliances. And now that you've got this significant outage, which just simply should not have happened at the most basic level, I think you're going to see a lot of customer unrest and whether that boils over or not remains to be seen. But I do think that you know, if Cisco wants to sit there and talk about its quality and its innovation and we've got the best people and our products are the best, they're the, you know, the greatest, but you're going to make these mistakes where you take down entire companies for a day in your core competency. I don't think that's a good look and might we might see Cisco have a struggle to retain customers going forward.
0: SD-WAN is a very hot market, very competitive market. There are lots of competitors very hungry to steal business yeah. from Cisco. And this is, you know, sales uh, people are salivating yeah, <laughs> over yeah. this uh, for their, that next meeting they've got coming up well, with Well
1: the, the, the thing to think about here is that this is so, if you can't control the, the customer's SD-WAN, you lose the ability to force them to use your SASE and SSE. Right. So the all other- of that zero trust tooling, all of that SASE and SSE product portfolio, the, the off-prem scanning, the data logging, the analytics, the visibility tools, the SD-WAN is the thing that sort of locks you in. And that's sort of how Cisco's always worked. They put something just a little proprietary in there and it makes their in-house portfolio, even though it's not quite as good as a competitor, which is fine. Not everybody's the best of breed, you know, but just enough so that buying the whole portfolio from Cisco makes business sense. I mean if I'm a customer right now I've spent a fortune on remediation I've had massive outages which have reached the board level because of, you know 30% of branches are down mm-hmm. and no fix posted no no idea when Cisco's going to fix it right that's not a good look and Cisco bears no responsibility for this right they're just going to say like oh you know in, in on paper and in the legal courts they're going to go like we make every attempt blah 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 but no responsibility and nor do we bear the cost of the outage so, Thanks. if you're a car rental company uh, you know with tens of thousands of locations and you weren't able to hire a company, you know to hire cars. cars per day, yeah, that cost is yours, yeah. right? Not Cisco's. so the the incentives here are not correctly aligned again. You know I think some customers are going to be really, you know there's going to be some really uncomfortable months ahead for Cisco executives trying to make it up to their customers. And I think this is may break out into the open, whether it whether it just happens in behind in the boardrooms or whatever, and I don't think this is beating this up at all. I don't think um, this is one of those things where you just say, oh, customers will just, some customers will, they just go, oh, well, not much we can do about it. Cisco can't blame, you know, never got fired for buying Cisco. I, I think this might, might actually break out into the open. And I think we might see some impact to Cisco down the line.
0: Yeah. I think you're also right that. Uh, all of the big companies are looking at SD-WAN. All the big vendors are looking at SD-WAN as a gateway to get you into their cloud-delivered mm. security platform, SASE uh, and Zero Trust. Mm. And so if Cisco loses the SD-WAN customer, they also potentially lose that SASE, that security customer uh, as yeah. well. So it could be... And yeah. the
1: campus going forward.
0: I mean, once, um, once the wall starts crumbling, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, because you know this week IDC came out and uh, produced a report saying that they're now talking about the campus Zero Trust campus, which is basically where the campus network just looks like SD-WAN, right? Uh It just becomes a branch connected to the internet, and Zero Trust is the same in the branch as it is in the campus. We've talked about that a lot, but you think about if Cisco misses all their business, campus networking is the biggest growth sector inside of Cisco's business today. Um, And so if they start to lose momentum there, they're going to be in real uh, financial trouble because they won't be able to keep up with the promises that they made to shareholders. Now, can they control? You know, Cisco has legendarily got control of customers and been able to convince customers that it's never their fault or that's just the way of it. And, you know, we'll make it up to you somehow. So, you know, we'll see. There's no guarantees here, but I do think that this is a significant matter um, and it possible that it could break out into the open. Yeah, we'll
0: see. All right, moving on. Uh, Very quickly, Extreme Networks has announced new networking gear. The products include a new Wi-Fi 6E access point. The company claims it's the most power efficient. It's targeting budget-conscious buyers. They also announced two new core and aggregation switches, as well as a new 8820 data center switch. They come in either 40 or 80 hundred gig port models, and they support MPLS and VXLAN, along with dual-stack IPv4 and IPv6 support.
1: Yeah, I only mention this because, you know, I always like a bit of hardware, me. Um, there's nothing interesting here. This all just looks like following the market. Um, the Wi-Fi AP, uh, it's not clear to me, is it an announcement that they're going to reship it or do they actually have stock? I know a lot of people are still saying that uh, Wi-Fi APs are still on a 12-month lead time and they still can't get deliveries um, because most of them use the same chipset and the chips are not widely available and the production backlog is so bad that we're still looking at six months to a year's lead time across the board on Wi-Fi. So do they actually have stock? In which case... If they don't, this announcement's a waste of time. Uh, the data Swing switch just looks like, yeah, they bought it. they've got a standard chipset and uh, they're catching up, better late than never. And the uh, Fabric switch that they're talking about, or the Campus switch, is again just a refresh on the Campus Essex, so they re-spin the switches. So not much there to be too interested in.
0: Yeah, links in the show notes if you want to dig into some details. Uh, we'll move on uh, to a couple of crime-related tech stories. First, a Ubiquity developer who stole customer data has been sentenced to six years in jail. Uh, if you recall the story, he posed as a hacker uh, and demanded almost two million in Bitcoin for the return of the data he stole. When Ubiquity wouldn't pay, the developer then went to the media and posed as a whistleblower, accusing the company of lax security standards. He's now been sentenced to serve six years and pay one point five million in restitution for reputational and market cap damage that his actions caused the company.
1: Yeah, complicated story here. And um this the the story behind this is that the person who was in you know, the hacker was got very excited about the fact that the ubiquity CEO told him that this don't worry about security. It's not important. Just go on and do whatever. And then he decided that he would come up with this crazy scheme of stealing the data and then as a way of fixing the security. The court didn't believe him, surprisingly. Uh-
0: <laughs> that was his defense. I was just proving that there were security problems.
1: <laughs> yeah, he did. Literally, that's the way.
0: No
1: uh, so now he's going to serve a six-year sentence and he's up for $1.5 million in restitution. Yeah. What I wanted to do, though, um, is to compare this with the former chief security officer of Uber, who we've talked about. Mm -hmm. He was in court. Um, He covered up the data breach of 50 million Uber customers. 50 million, right? Was found guilty of the cover up. Um, And and also for obstructing
0: an investigation. Uh, He instructed, yes, that's right. And then there's,
1: yep. And and presumably under instruction by the executive team of Uber. So he's just the fall boy, the sucker who managed to, Be the chief security officer. This is a chief security officer of a fifty, you know, of of a once hugely high flying unicorn, hundreds of burns worth of market value, fifty million Uber customers were stolen, sold, stolen and sold, and he attempted to cover it up and then obstruct the investigation. How much time do you think he's going to spend in jail?
0: (laughs) I would like a lot, but I know where this goes, so (laughs) it's none. Three years of
1: probation, yeah, and he has to do two hundred hours community service and no fine. Yeah, so
0: crazy
1: so compare the two here uh, <laughs> this really doesn't feel like you know if you want to know what the value of a lawyer is or whatever you could, there it is right there
0: yeah, I, I, I'm kind of. One of the things I wondered is, did, did, was this person, this uh, CSO, former CSO, being supported by Uber in terms of his uh, defense team? Were they helping him out with lawyers because he was, you know, sort of acting uh, to protect the company? I don't know. I also think it never hurts to be an executive and a white collar criminal in these kinds of cases. And it also seems like the court sees theft as more punishable than incompetence and lying.
1: Yeah, I suspect the case from the ubiquity case looks more like a common criminal. You know,
0: right? I it's a probably a, it's a little yet. easier to understand. I stole this, uh, mm-hmm. whereas the other whereas
1: ones... the you know, but I would I, I would take the view that the you know you're the chief information security officer of Uber, you covered up the theft of 50 million Uber customer records, and you're going to get three years probation and 200 hours community service. It just doesn't feel right either way. The winner is the user because customers are now going to see security as something that matters. Do you think, Drew? Nope. Never going to happen. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) That was a very quick response. I was expecting a moment
0: of consideration. No hesitation. (laughs) Been around the block a few (laughs) times. We know how this goes. All right, a quick break to tell you about our sponsor Itential. Today's networks span physical, virtual, and multi-cloud infrastructure. Itential's automation platform makes complicated networks more manageable. Tools like Ansible, Terraform, and Python can help you handle routine tasks, but they're limited. The automations you can build with them only focus on specific network tasks rather than full change management processes. With Itential, you can use the assets you've already built and integrate them into larger, more comprehensive automation workflows. Itential provides low-code capabilities so you can easily build and run workflows that automate the entire network change process from ticket creation to ticket closure. With Itential, you can incorporate existing CLI and custom scripts into automation workflows or build your own automations. Maximize automation from ticket creation to ticket closure by integrating automations with your entire ecosystem. Create guardrails to prevent errors with robust pre and post-check processes and make your automation accessible for self-service access that anyone can execute inside or outside the platform. So know your network, automate your network. Find out more at itential.com slash that's itential.com slash right pushers. a few more stories before we wrap. First, uh, Microsoft employees won't be getting raises or salaries this year. CEO Satya Nadella sent a company-wide email citing macroeconomic uncertainties and increased competition. as the reasons for the pay freeze. That's according to the register, which says it saw the email.
1: That must be great. You know, all that year working hard for your bonus or getting a salary increase. And Satya Nadella just says, nah, no, nah, can't be bothered. Right. There's a the the business uncertainty means that we don't have to pay you for your hard work, even though we promised it to you. Um, Seems a bit of a. Right. (laughs) Uh, A bit of a slap in the face, right?
0: Yeah, it does seem a bit of a slap in the face, particularly as the register notes. Microsoft booked uh, 18.2 billion in profits, not just revenue, but profits in its most fiscal quarter. Mm -hmm. Also one quarter. So seems like things are okay, but uh, you don't get a raise.
1: Mm hmm. But employees are our greatest resource, Drew. (laughs) We love our employees because they're the people who make the company what it is, right? That's exactly right. Um, So just to to double down on that, I noticed that the IBM CEO, Arvind Krishna, told Reuters ahead of his company's annual conference, uh, he's specifically talking about AI and he's talking about how AI is going to change the way the workforce works. And he said, that doesn't mean the total employment decreases. Actually, that's code for, yes, it does. He said about some media reports talking about IBM pausing hiring for thousands of jobs that AI could replace. He said, that gives us the ability to plow a lot more investment into value-creating activities. We hired more people than we more let go because we're hiring into areas where there is a lot more demand from our clients. So I read that as, we're just going to ditch the people. We're not going to do training. We don't care about skills development. We're just going to go and hire people who've got the skills we want. However they got them is a mystery, but they've got them. And uh, and that's what we want. So too bad if too bad if you get burned, um, loyalty is worth zero. I think you have said that a few times before.
0: Yes, I think the thing to remember is that when push comes to shove, you you are just a number. So uh, behave yeah. accordingly.
1: But importantly, the training is a thing. So companies before would have said, we need to keep these people. Remember, we're going into a new market, let's get onto some retraining. Let's give them opportunities to become the new thing. And if they don't make it, then we'll get rid of them. Right now, it's out we don't care where the training comes from or the expertise is, we're just going to buy it. I mean, uh, I think the extension here is you need to be responsible for knowledge gaining, for gaining new knowledge, gaining new skills. Your employer is not. I think we're moving into an era where employers aren't going to pay for your training. Employers aren't going to give you time off for training. That's on you. How does that work? I don't know. That 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 feels like a massive um, problem coming up. I think mostly what you can do is just lie, you know? turn up and say oh no i'm a total expert in ai i've used ChatGPT for hours <laughs> i think we're going to see a lot of that and it's going to get away with it too because no one's got the skills
0: you could always anyway. have chat gpt write your resume and see what happens yeah that's right yep. all right uh, back to cisco the company announced it's going to open manufacturing facilities in india the company already has research and development sites there and it's now going to invest in building out core manufacturing capabilities a ceo chuck robbins made the announcement after a meeting with india prime minister narendra modi
1: Yeah, uh, I think this is partly because of the supply chain. You know, we've talked a lot about supply chain, especially when we had the bigger problems with, um, you know, with chip manufacturing and then mm-hmm. assembly in China, and then we had the the freight problems. There's a big push, and then now we've got the geopolitics, which is saying don't do construct, don't do manufacturing and assembly in China. Right. It's mostly assembly that happens in China, by the way. Only very few bits of it are actually manufactured in China. It's mostly all, you know, Japanese chips or Taiwanese chips with, you know. And various pizzas, and then it's all strapped in a piece of metalwork that's manufactured locally in China. Um, most of the production of technology hardware has moved to the Philippines, Indonesia, Vietnam. We're seeing a number of places open up as others. Um, but India is trying to get companies to come to India. But by comparison, India is not as competitive as those other countries that I talked about. The, it's a, a higher value, higher paid workforce. And so what it's been doing is the, the government there has been demanding if you're going to sell products in our country, you have to commit to manufacturing them in our country um, and then writing that into law. And we're seeing companies like Facebook and Amazon struggling with the fact that everything that they do is virtual and remote. They have no need to base anything in India, mm-hmm. but if they want to do business there, they have to you know, build distribution centers that they own. Mm-hmm. They have to employ a certain number of headcount. They have to, and I think this is in that vein. Cisco, already has a large headcount in India doing software development, research and development, uh, a lot of tech support, obviously, from India, a lot of product management comes out of India. And um, I, I think really this is about – and I was reading an article from Simon Sherwood over at the Air Register, and he sort of goes along the same line of thinking that I was have, but he writes it much better than I do. Cisco sort of kowtowing here and saying, yes, Mr. India, we're coming, we're going to put stuff there but not saying much about what it actually is that they're bringing. I think India wants Cisco to bring manufacturing there. Um, And I think there's some free money as well, Uh, (laughs) you know, subsidies. So
0: I would assume, uh,
1: you know, we used to talk about following the money, but in this type of announcement, I think it might be follow the free money and what I'm forced to do rather than a, we embrace India and we're going to move, you know, I think it's much more of a fluid situation.
0: Yeah, I agree that this is probably, there's a supply chain angle here, uh, begin diversifying, reduce reliance on Chinese manufacturing. I, uh, I'm sure it's also political. Uh, Cisco, uh, you know, that the CEO gets to meet with the prime minister and the prime, you know, shake hands and, and get that sort of flex, uh, like we're a big enough company to meet a head of state, rah, 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 especially a huge country of more than a billion citizens. Um, so it, it's, it's you know, flex, it's Cisco acting like a giant and an influencer. Uh, there's no word on the in the press release about tax breaks or incentives, but I'm, there must be some in there. There's actually also no dollar commitment other than mm. some vague wording around a billion dollars in exports and domestic production, quote, over the next few years. Uh, and they also didn't yeah. uh, provide a fixed date on groundbreaking or construction start. So uh, hard to know if this is a real deal or just a press release deal.
1: Yeah, it looks like a mix of uh, politics. Cisco's doing what we told them um and sniffing around for some free money you know yep. wonder if there's some free money in there must be uh, can we get some maybe if we get some we might you know yes okay we'll we'll do something you've got to come up with the goods you know we like free money um so you know it'll be interesting to see how it takes off you know?
0: Yep, we'll keep an eye on it. Or not,
1: that. as the case maybe. You never know. Mm.
0: All right, so let's wrap up with some space networking. Uh, Greg, you've come across a company that connects IoT devices via satellite network, and they're provide, uh, talking about use cases like uh, agriculture, maritime shipping, and container tracking, and livestock tracking, i.e. satellite-connected cows.
1: That's what we need, cows connected by satellite. <laughs> We've been talking about the AI apocalypse, but what happens if we actually network the cows, Drew? The cows are networked, according <laughs> to
0: their website. That's <laughs> already yeah, happening.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. The cows are getting ready? No, I don't think so. Um, this is interesting from the point that satellite, satellite, which is S-A-T-E-I-L-I-O-T, they're signing contracts for standard roaming with more than 100 operators across the world to provide 5G IoT connectivity. That breaks down to doing some form of LoRa or NB-I-O-T but satellite to earth. So the idea is, is that you could have, uh, up until now, you'd have these IoT edge devices or something like that, and they talk to a 5G tower. The 5G tower would have an antenna for NB-IoT or LoRa and then trunk it off over the backbone and then connect it up to the internet. The challenge here, of course, is that if you want to make an IoT device that works globally, you know, manufacture it in the Philippines or Vietnam and then sell it into Europe and the and the USA, Canada and so forth, you really don't want to have to go out there and be negotiating with each telco locally, having a customized set of stock that goes from, you know, this stock has to go to the U S but can't be used in this country because Mm. it doesn't conform to the same. It very, you know, and we know that doesn't work because that's what cars, that's why cars aren't doing it. Right. And they say, that's a very different market. That's got plenty of cash. Um, So in this case, it looks like the telcos are going to be signing an agreement with satellite who's then going to say, you bill them, you know, let's say you wanted to build, you know, Drew's dog tracking monitor
0: Mm
1: and you'll be able to go and, you know, it'll connect to the satellite and you'll be able to buy the network subscription from your preferred telco, you know, your preferred mobile operator.
0: So it's like an ISP in space.
1: Yeah. Well sort of, I mean, the point here is that satellite doesn't have to build a retail organization and then do billing and debt collection of all the money from you personally They'll goes through one of the mobile telcos who are OEMing or just reselling this backbone connectivity, which makes sense because they—it's very difficult to build a retail network and build up customers, you know, with a direct invoicing, um, and that also means you don't have to have a 24-hour support network taking calls when things break and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's very interesting, and I wonder how much this might start to affect telcos' 5G networking plans if. Suddenly, IoT starts talking to space instead of talking to your 5G towers. What does that mean for 5G if all it's going to do is forward IP packets? We had 5G say, we're going to have slices for IoT, we're going to have slices for medicine, we have slices for cars. You know, we've got to have low latency, we've got to have all this stuff. Now, people are going, no, no, we'll just send it to space. That'll do. <laughs> it's <laughs> just easier you know right <laughs> I, I just wonder you know this I'm just speculating if you you know
0: why slice when um, you can satellite
1: that's exactly right why would you bother right why well would I mean you there's
0: there are going to be latency use cases and so on so I'm, I'm sure you can hmm. make a, a use case for slicing as well but yeah
1: look well, if you're an analyst you can certainly make a use case that there is a need for low latency connections but then you go out in the real world and you say, "Who wants low latency?" And some tiny little corner niche use case from, from nowhere, you know, that's got very little money associated with it, says, "I need low latency." And everybody goes like,
0: "Well, keep you know, that thought." <laughs> self-driving cars are going to need low latency. Uh, tracking your cows is probably not a latency-sensitive application.
1: No, it's a availability. I mean, if you're going to track cows, you probably don't even have a five G base station in in range.
0: Right. All right, link in the show notes if you want to go check out Saddle IOT. Their, their website is kind of interesting to poke around and see what's going on. But that does wrap up uh, our show. Greg, where can folks get more from you?
1: Uh, you can find me twattering still. I'm still on the Twitters as at Ethereal Mind. I've returned uh, this week. I've managed to find substantial amount of energy and excitement to lay down some, uh, some fascinating commentary. Is that what I think I'll call it? Yep. Or not, as the case may be. At Ethereal Mind. <laughs>
0: All right. I'm Drew Conry murray I'm on Twitter at Drew underscore CM. I'm blogging at Dead. I'm also on Mastodon, also Drew underscore CM, if you want to go visit me there. Uh, thanks to our sponsor, Attentional. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Network Break. If you like the show, leave a, rec- leave a recommendation on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or you can always share a link with your friend. As always, thanks for listening.